Good morning and welcome to Faith FM. You are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 or the internet, whatever you're on. We are absolutely stoked that you are here. My name is Lawson. Sitting across from me is the lovely Angela. This is the LA show this morning on <laughs> Faith FM and I am so excited to be here. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> like, who just injected you? You woke up. <laughs> like an energizer bunny. It's because I'm so stoked to be here, to yeah. be talking to these guys, Um, to be um, yeah, on the breakfast show. I think I it's that little it. diddle, the music in the background. I think that's just what pumped Every you up. Every time. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a pull start on a chainsaw, you know? Oh yeah, well, you like, definitely got pull starts, sir. Man, I am here. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to speak. But I want to ask you first, um, mm. Angela, how are you? I am, I am good. I am good. This what is you- my last official day in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. If the flight goes out tomorrow back to America, which I'm sure it will. Um, but yeah, today is officially my last day in Australia. So bittersweet. But at the same time, I got to say it's pretty awesome that I got to spend the last six months in Australia. I just feel incredibly blessed. So this is your last show? With this is my last show. I get to do it with you, Lawson. Oh, that's so good. Of course, <laughs> I'm filling in for Lyle this morning. <laughs> Angela, I got to ask you, what are you grateful for? Mm, I am thankful for Australian sunrises and Australian sunsets. They are truly Amen. magnificent. Last night, yes. uh, when we were playing volleyball on the beach, it was it just kept getting better and better and better. Mm. And then this morning, yes. um, when I was driving, unfortunately it was behind me, but then I would make certain turns and it was just like, la la. You know, you just feel like there should just be this beautiful music as soon as you see the sky. <laughs> That's amazing. I tell you what, I'm incredibly grateful for a friend's wedding on the weekend. It was so beautiful. Shout out Jael and Rich shell um but yeah right now we are continuing on with the morning show um before we do i am just so stoked to be able to talk to you guys you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different what is happening around the world in positively different news all right well first of all i'd like to start out with a story about um the beelines across england so have you ever been to england sir no it's the only western european country i have not been to oh shame i got to live in england for a year when i went to college i actually went to newbold the seventh day Adventist college near london okay so i lived in england for a year and i absolutely loved it Mm. it's just like the picture books anyway so there's you know there's train lines all over England to get mm. around. But there's something now that they're starting called the Bee Lines, which is going to create a network of wildflower highways across England to help bees and other pollinators. That's amazing. Isn't it cool? Of, of course, it, like, I just want to ask, is this some way in response to the whole death of the bees thing? Like the the population struggle that they're having there? Okay, yes. England has lost an estimated 97% of its wildflower meadows since the Second World War. Wow. This um, rampant habitat loss has had a catastrophic effect on butterflies, hoverflies, and bees, with numbers of some species estimated to have fallen by 80% in recent years. Mm. And if you know anything about eating... You need pollinators <laughs> in order to enjoy your food because it's very important for your food, right? To yes, have 100%. And so what they've done is um, they have this map and there's red lines all over it. And they're asking different businesses and houses along these different lines to plant wildflowers. Mm. And then it creates this giant network. Um, basically, it's started by a conservation charity called Bug Life. Mm. And that is how they're going to help um, grow pollinators back into England. So mm. I think that's a super cool idea. And I think it's something that we all could do 
to be honest. Like it yeah. would not hurt Australia's environment or definitely America's environment to mm. plant some more wildflowers. Oh, 100%. Even if it's not like so well thought out or well planned, like this is very, very English style, very yes. exact and very precise of <laughs> where they want their pollinators to fly. Um, but they have five tips for us for boosting bee numbers. Number one, grow more flowers, shrubs, and trees. Mm -hmm. Number two, let your garden grow wild. Number three, cut your grass less often. I should tell my dad that one. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, yeah. Uh, Number four, leave insect nests and hibernation spots undisturbed. And number five, think carefully about whether to use pesticides. Mm, that's that's incredibly important. I remember, I think it was last year, reporting on a story once, you know, when the, the loss of bee population was getting so drastic that it was like, you know, leave a teaspoon of sugar and water out <laughs> on your on your veranda or porch for the Americans to to um to be able to feed the bees their necessary nutrients and whatnot because there was such a big struggle with that. I haven't heard much of it, but it seems like people are taking more and more initiative. And you said this was charity-based, right? Yeah. Oh, that's really, really amazing. And something that I've said on air before and something that I will continue to champion and say, even though I don't necessarily know if this is correct, but look, it goes like this. <laughs> if you don't have bees, you don't have pollination. And if you don't have pollination, they don't have flowers. And if you don't have flowers then you don't have crops. And if you don't have crops, then you don't have bread. And if you don't have bread, then you don't have garlic bread. <laughs> so save the bees, save the garlic bread. We are championing this. Obviously, there are also some really awesome creatures in God's kingdom. So why not make that effort? But yeah, that's an awesome initiative. What's else, what else is going on in Positively yeah. Different News? All right. Well, something... That- Um, I found interesting was that in America, um, donations have surged nearly 50% in the first half of 2020, which you would think in the middle of COVID-19, our charities and our different um, things that are surviving purely on donations would be in big trouble. But actually, they've seen the highest ever on record in history Mm. in the beginning of 2020, which absolutely baffles me because everyone knows Mm. that they're afraid of this economic downturn. And this is this is a huge period of deep social unrest, but yet charity giving yes. has skyrocketed. And I think that's incredible because when you have fear, normally you turn into like a hoarder, right? Yes, yes. And that, your first thought is, how am I going to survive? I know that's my gut reaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely been struggling with that a little bit since I've been in Australia and not receiving a paycheck where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to share my money or I don't want to necessarily, oh, let me count the pennies before we talk about splitting food or all those kind of mm. things because I have no money coming in. Mm. And so I just think it's incredibly awesome that during a time of crisis, people are giving. So from January through June 2020, donors earmarked over $1.7 billion in aid, marking a 46% increase in dollars granted compared to the same period last year. Mm. And this this is U.S. statistic. It is. I'm sorry. I didn't I couldn't find an article specifically about Australia, but I'm sure that Australians are extremely generous, too. In fact, I remember when we had interviewed uh, with Three Angels, she had talked about the fact that um, the donations were doing fantastic Mm. um, in Australia. But like I just find it so interesting coming from America because, you know, at the moment, the, the situation over there, you've kind of got a dichotomy of crisis, both. 
uh, not only with this global pandemic, but also uh, over the last couple of months socially. Mm, um, yes. And so it's good to see that, you know, no matter where the crisis is coming from, as something, this is something that Lyle says a lot, in fact, um, it's bringing out the best in people. Well, you know, the wor- they always say the worst of times brings out the best in people or the worst in people, right? Mm. And so your true character gets to show in the worst of times. Yes. And so it's, I think you see these two extremes often mm-hmm. um, where you either see people, unfortunately, you know, if you watch the news in America, you see a lot of people dealing with, I think, their frustration in, yes. in a very angry way. It's not necessarily as directed to a movement as much of just you know, filled with fear, jobless. Many have not been able to be going to work yes. or having any income coming in. And so it's a time of terror and this is how they're responding. Or you have the other people, other side, um, where people are giving. Um, so the groups that were like super supported is Feeding America, Doctors Without Borders, The Salvation Army, and Planned Parenthood mm. um, are some organizations that have really received a lot of money. And so I don't, I just think that's kind of a cool call to us. You know, what am I doing in this pandemic? Am I responding yes. mm. with fear and hoarding or am I saying, Lord, I trust you. And how can I give? How can I give to others um, in this time of need? You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Kelvin. Fantastic to have you here this morning. Great to Great see to you. Great to be here. Oh, just awesome, just awesome. And of course, we are going into a kind of semi-regular... How often do you come in, actually? Once a month. Once a month. Uh, our monthly segment, which is um, colloquially entitled Wacky, Weird, Why Is That in the Bible? Questions and Topics with Kelvin. So, yeah, we have about 12 minutes. We're going to jump into it. We're going to smash it out. What do we got? What do you got for us today? Okay, I'll, I wanted to dig into a part of the Bible... Often people read it and go, why is that there? And they read it and go, this is so boring. Let's flick through a couple chapters forward and get, let's get to the exciting bits. But I want to dig in this morning and um, hopefully it'll be a little bit more exciting once we understand what it's all about. So it's talking about the camp of Israel. Mm-hmm. And if you open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3 as well, we're going to look at the way the camp of Israel is laid out. Mm-hmm. So... This is a little bit that I've taken out of one of my sermons I did called The Four Winds. Mm. And the way the camp of Israel is laid out, like you've got the tabernacle in the heart. Mm-hmm. And the tabernacle, If I've given everyone a piece of paper. If you yes. have your piece of paper, uh-huh. orient it so it's laying, sorry, it's laying on its side. So you've got northeast, southwest correctly yes, yes, yes. drawn. Grab a piece of a pen for your piece of paper. Yeah, this is interactive. This is awesome. <laughs> it's interactive, isn't it? So in the middle of the um, piece of paper, you'll notice mm-hmm. that there is a small rectangle, which yes. represents the tabernacle. Yes. The temple of Israel. The temple, yep. So in Numbers chapter 2, verse 17 and verse 33, it talks about the tribe of Levi were camped around the tabernacle, mm-hmm. the temple. Yep. So they, if you have a look on your piece of paper, the square that is surrounding the tabernacle, that is the area that the, um, the Levites, Levites were um, mm-hmm. camped in. Now what I want you to do is grab a pen and go from the top right-hand corner across eastward and you, you count out a total of 186,400 uh, people, which is Whoa. the amount of people that were in the camp of Judah, 
Um, so that will equate to roughly 19 squares. Uh-huh. And draw a line down and joining those two dots together. So that'll um, designate the end of the camp. And then from that dot, go back towards the temple again. So we're learning that is Lawson good at following directions? Now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> it might be a little bit confusing for everyone at home, but um, <laughs> there is a reason to the exercise that we're doing. I mean, it so, was confusing to me. Yeah, uh, it was. Not, not, not because of your bad presentation. It's just, it's just <laughs> early on a Monday morning. For those who are following along, um, Kelvin's given us some sheets of paper with all this plotted out, and we are just following along here. Yep. It's a, so you can do this at home if you've got some graph paper. Yes. Um, so we're drawing northeast, south, and west. Yes. And we're drawing um, the camp of Judah. The yes. Bible talks about the camp of Judah in Numbers chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. So you extend out nine, nine, 19 sections or 19 squares, basically, to the right-hand side towards east, and uh-huh. that would designate the camp of Judah. If you go south, that will be the camp of Reuben. Mm-hmm. So I can go through, there's 46,500 in the, in the um, tribe of Reuben and 59,000 in the tribe of Simeon and 54,000 in the tribe of Gad, but that equals 151,000. Yes. So if we were to draw southward Uh 15 squares and do the same again from the right-hand corner of the tribe of Levi, you go down. And it's interesting, the tribe of Levi in the Bible is unnumbered. It doesn't actually designate how many people Hmm. were in that tribe. But if you extend 15 squares down from the right-hand corner of the tribe of Levi and 15 squares down from the tribe of the left-hand corner of the tribe of Levi and then draw a line across the bottom of that encampment, it will give you another projection southward. Mm-hmm. Let's do the same again westward, which is going to be the camp of Ephraim. So you've got the uh, clan of Ephraim, which is 40,500, the clan of Manasseh, which is 32,200, the clan of Benjamin, which is 35,400, so that the total of that is 108,000. So we're going to draw to the left 11 squares. So that will be going westward. So this is found in Numbers chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. And we're going to do the same again, going northward. So the camp of Dan uh, in, in included... Um, the, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Naphtali, which is 62,000, 41,000, 53,000. So this will extend northward 157,600 people or tents mm-hmm. or 16 squares. So if you grab your piece of paper now mm-hmm. and orient it back okay. so that the um, west is at the top, north is at the right, south is to your left, and east is towards the bottom, Mm. it will show you a shape. Can you describe to me what the shape is? Well, I made a cross. Yeah, it kind of looks like a cross. (laughs) Yeah. This is awesome. (laughs) This is the camp of Israel. When they were in the wilderness, if you were a bird flying overhead or up on the mountains looking down upon the camp of Israel, you would see that the camp of Israel were camped in the shape of a cross. That's incredible. That's amazing. How is that possible? Because this is 1,450 years before Christ. Yes. Before the crucifixion. And you go, well, you know, did they know about the Romans and crucifixion? Well, no. The Romans, this is still, um, Rome 
itself was around from 27 BC to 476 BC. So this is still 1,400 years before the Romans. Yes. Wow. Is Wait, it an so nobody lived in these blank spaces? No. Like they, no. they just, oh, I always thought it was just one big giant square like a of circle, people. Like yeah. No, yeah, like a giant, yeah, just tons of people. But they actually had some nice space in between them, which makes sense, right? Because they're animals and stuff. Yes. Mm, I yeah. always thought they just like lived outside the square. But here you have direct, like strong, just lines going out from the tribe of Levi, four lines that create these big empty spaces between the four lines. That is mind blowing. It is. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've been pondering this. Like, what does this mean? Why mm-hmm. is it, like, symbolically, is it that, like, there are plenty of verses in the Bible that say that God wants to be amidst. And amongst yes. his people. Mm. So here, physically, God is in the middle. The temple mm-hmm. is in the middle of the people. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the crucifixion, it's the lamb of sacrifice is at the heart of the cross. Mm. Mm. So here depicted in the camp of Israel is that same thing wow. symbolically. Mm. Um, but what I find really interesting too, if you lay it back so it's oriented on its side, yes. mm-hmm. it represents the world. If you, if you were to grab a picture, uh, an atlas of the world and lay it out flat, mm-hmm. and you got an average of the land mass on the latitude and an average of land mass on the longitude, you would then draw a cross point. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know where that cross would would. Merge? No. It's Jerusalem. Yeah, it's in the Middle East. Yeah. So where did Jesus, where was he crucified? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So not only was, you know, God wow. wants to be the heart of his people, but Jesus is the lamb of sacrifice. Mm. But Jerusalem, where Jesus was sacrificed, is the heart of the world or the center of the world. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's incredible. From a landmass mm. point of view. That's so yes. cool. Yeah, that's oh, that's so cool crazy isn't it i just love that i just totally love that <laughs> <laughs> i might like we're just kind of speechless we're like like what can we even say to this like well it amazing. just shows that jesus so knows what he's doing and mm, he yeah. really was trying to make this a yep. message that yep. would be put in a central location to go out to the whole world he was one yep. man um well he was god that came as a man and he put himself in a location to be mm. like broadcasted in a world that there was no radio or tv but he knew yep. exactly where to put himself like, because that's why we we call that like the Middle East. Like, that's why it's considered like the middle. The middle. Yes, it, it's yep. the middle. You know, it was the perfect intersection point between um, the the western side of the known world and the eastern side of the known world. And that's why, like, you know, during the Dark Ages, the Crusades were such a big thing because you had such a political advantage if you mm. had control over that area yeah. of land. Um, and it's like, well, that's like that's the thing is it's. It was not only the perfect for Jerusalem in terms of like every empire that ruled um, that didn't destroy them, like Babylon, for example. Um, they were like very high, like well sought after and highly esteemed to be in favor of because they had so much travel through there. They had so much trade through there. But also it was the perfect jumping off point for the gospel mm. because it was right in the center of the world. You had a bunch of people yes. who could go left. I mean, like, mm. you know, you had a bunch of people who could go west, a bunch of people who could go east, and the gospel could pr- spread from there. And who was it? Like, of course, Jesus. Man, there is so much symbolism for me. And then it's like, 
oh, my mind is just blowing because then it's like from this too, this is exactly it, right? Like from the heart of yep. God, from the tabernacle mm. where the lamb is sacrificed, that's where the light of the world spreads from, you know? And when, when Jesus turned the disciples into apostles, they were sent from the heart of the world, the yes. center of the world. From Jerusalem. Yeah. But this cross just keeps pointing you to the to the fact that it was a denial of self. Yes. That is what it's God's government is. Right. It's sacrifice, yep. and yep. that is love, and that is where true joy is found, is denying mm. self and letting Christ take over. What else do you have for us? Um, Psalm 56, verse 8. Oh, okay. It says that God puts our tears in a bottle. Oh, I love Your wanderings verse. are in your book. Mm. Why does God put tears in a bottle? Is he happy that we're, we're sad? Does he want to preserve our sadness? Or is it that he's so concerned about us that even the very tears like, are a reminder for him of how he wants to remove and get rid of sin from our lives? Yeah, mm. I've always absolutely loved this verse because I am definitely a crier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to me, it just says that there's not a single tear that Jesus doesn't mark. There's mm. not a single tear that he doesn't recognize, yep. um, which represents my pain. And mm. to me, the fact that he bottles it is like he cares so much that he can measure my pain yeah absolutely and i I think he's so concerned about us not only does that cross show the symbolism of how god wants to be amongst us but here he really wants to be a part of our suffering and pain he wants to be there to take care of us Mm. in even even the bad times of our lives Mm -hmm. Mm, 100 definitely this is just communicated again and again in the bible god's intense overwhelming interest in our well-being um, the, the heart that he has for us um, in our struggles and how much he wants to comfort us. And I think that's why the call for Jesus to come to him, like the result of that when he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, laden and, and I, I will give you rest. Amen. Yep. God is searching to give us comfort and not only comfort for now, but hope for tomorrow. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much, Kelvin, for coming in and sharing with us. I know you have even went too fast. more material. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. It's time for question of the day. All right, our question of the day, and we're going to put Calvin on the hot spot today, hot seat. So the question of the day um, is, why do animals talk to people in the Bible, but they don't seem to talk to us today? Good question. (laughs) Um, It's one, if we're going to do justice to the answer and uh, look at the, the question fairly, we need to have a look at Numbers chapter 22, verse 28 to 29. And then once we do that, we'll go and have a look at another example in the Bible of where an animal talked. So let's have a look at, first up, Numbers chapter 22, and let's look at verse 28 and verse 29. All right. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times, it asked Balaam. You had made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Yeah, But I'm the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? <laughs> yeah. No, Balaam says. What? And there's a whole conversation going on here. And there's a conversation that continues here. Mm. But what strikes me as unusual, why doesn't Balaam fall off the back of his chair and go, whoa, here's the donkey talking to me? He doesn't. He just continues the conversation as if it's quite natural and normal. As if he's talking to a person. He just talks. He just talks. Yep. 
Yeah, I haven't. No, nope, haven't done that before. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I did definitely talk to my dog, but it wasn't talking to me back. <laughs> <laughs> it woofed. <laughs> We've got to realize that animals are highly intelligent, mm. and when you look at today, like I don't know of anyone that's actually physically t- spoken English or Italian or. <laughs> Um, German to animals. However, we do hear about science scientists um, communicating with animals in their own language. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, there was Coco the gorilla, wasn't it? Was there not? I think it was Coco. Um, and they, they were able to communicate with something like 200 different words using sign language. Yes. Um, so here's a highly intelligent animal. And we've also got examples of dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, dolphins are able to communicate with humans using high-pitched squeals and things. And we understand those and we can interpret that and communicate back to them using their own high-pitched squeals. Mm. So we know they've got language. We know we've got language. But it's trying to get those two languages to marry up, to meet together. Mm. Um, but here, like in this example of Balaam, like Balaam actually just spoke fluently and very congenially, like very casually, like to the donkey. So let's have a look at another example um, where this same thing occurred. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. If you'd like to share those, please. All right. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And then she talks back. And then verse 4, he's talking again. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Yeah, here's another example. Like, why doesn't Eve go, Whoa, a talking animal? (laughs) I'm going to share with you um, Flavius Josephus, who was a historian. He wrote a book called Antiquities of the Jews. In book 1, chapter 1, he says, God therefore commanded Adam and his wife, they should eat of all of the rest of the plants, but to abstain from the tree of knowledge, and foretold them that if they touched it, it would prove their destruction. And he says, but while all the living creatures at that time had but one language, the serpent was envious and had a disposition of their happy living. So it's actually jealousy. Like here it says that the, the serpent was jealous. So mm. if we translate that back, do you think it was the donkey that was jealous? Um, no. No. When you read, like how long have we got? Another 30 seconds? Yeah, sure. Okay, so when you continue reading in uh, Numbers chapter 22, it actually says that an angel appeared before the donkey. So the donkey mm. was actually doing Balaam a favor by stopping and then talking to him to prevent him continuing on. If he had continued on, he would have perished and died and passed away. Oh, so wow. it was a, an important, an urgent thing, and that's why the, the donkey started talking. Mm, mm. Oh, so, but what we're saying is like, because animals don't talk today, is it because it was through an angel, I assume? Yes? Yes. Okay, perfect. That's <laughs> fantastic to know. Um, that's really great. I think as well, oh, what you were saying there about animals being like, they have that basis of um, intelligence to be able to communicate in some way. And I think God just, like, it's not as ridiculous as it seems. I, ultimately, it's very, very highly unlikely, but it's God just using the experience of an animal that already has thoughts and feelings to be, that could be communicated than to be communicated through a, uh, an animal. That's, that's really, really interesting. No, thank you so much, Kelvin.